Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. You're welcome to look on your electronic device as well. We all probably, if we were honest, want to be like someone. Who's, who's, this, I mean, who's this person when you think about it? Like, man, I would love to be like them. Or, or maybe some of you, it's your, it's your parents. You're like, man, I would love to grow up and be like my father or to be like my mother. Or maybe some of you, it's, it's I, I know what I don't want to be like. You know, I don't want to be like my father. I don't want to be like my mother. You, you have these, these individuals in life, these people that we, we hope we could be like. You see a famous person and an actor, or you watch some science fiction movie, and you're like, oh, it'd be so cool to be like that, to be able to have those things. You follow someone, let's say it's your, one of your, your leaders in your life that you tend to, to desire to be like. Some people, it's the, the, the people we read. Like, Man, I would love to be like this individual. I want to be more this way. I have a desire to imitate these different people in my life. And some of these things are people that are these great traits where you realize there's things that you lack in. I, I, I'm not great at this, but this individual is so great. I'd love to be more like them in those things. And we, we tend to find ourselves looking to other people to try and identify how we are to operate. And it's not that that's bad per se. It's, it's the one issue is, is, is as the Apostle Paul has been working through the book of Corinthians with the issue of factions and, and the things that were happening in this time, directly oriented and, and tailored at the leaders, the spiritual leaders in that place. There was Apollos and Cephas or Peter and, and Paul, and they were kind of pitting them against each other. But again, they were making these judgments based not on their faithfulness, like he says that we are to be doing or that God is going to hold us accountable for, but on the way in which they spoke, the style in which they did things. Now, think about the person you want to be like. Most of your assumptions are built on that as well. I want to be like them because I love the way they talk, or I love the way they speak, or you're listening to this podcast, and I, like, I love the way that, that this person talks about their family, so I want to be like that. And yet we have no idea how they treat their family. We just know what we hear. And we make these judgments, these desires, these, these statements based on, I want to be like this individual, and it's all based on kind of these external things that we see. And as we've been working through this text, these first four kind of four chapters are this long, long kind of drudging de- just desire for the, for the Apostle Paul inspired by the Spirit of God to really lay out, look, there's no need for division among the church. This division, this, this division is in place is, is, is proof that you aren't recognizing the grace of God and who he is. This is one church and everything's to be there. And so what, what he's trying to do in this next section is, is incredible because it's so necessary for where we're going next week and, and, and on. Like I said, last week, he, he kind of challenged people with their puffed up, their arrogance. He said, look, you are arrogant. You, you've puffed up. You're, you're, you're boasting about things that you don't even own. You're boasting about your height. The God made you that height. You're boasting about things that you have no ownership of other than it was given to you by God. And he's saying, you need to, you need to, to not be so busted. You're not, you're not so full up. He rebukes the Corinthians for their inflated self-esteem and the fact that their lives take no account of the cross of Jesus. He challenges them. And the reason why he's doing this is because where he's going to go to start answering some of the questions that were sent to him, um, which is what brought this letter about, 
is these issues that were arising in this church, not just the divisions, but all of these other things from sexual immorality and the, the misunderstanding of body and, and the spiritual gifts and all these things that were going on. He says, we must go here. And so today what he's going to do is he's going to remind them kind of the, the huge platform is that the people in Corinth need to stop modeling the community of Corinth. The people in Corinth need to stop emulating and living and, and posturing themselves and following and imitating the culture of Corinth. There needs to be something different. And the reason why this is important, because if you look at this culturally, where he's going to start talking about the things that the Apostle Paul really pushes into from sexual morality, idolatry, and swindling, all these other things he's going to talk about, what he is offering, what he is showing, is such a counter way to live compared to the culture they're in. It's the exact opposite. Remember, he, he said last week, he said, look, we're, we're beaten and poor and, and we don't have these things. And they're saying, we're rich and comfortable and we have homes and we have all these different things. He's saying, look, this isn't the way of Christ. You are, you are following Christ. And so that's where he's, he's going to push in even further today to kind of finally close this division thing, even though he'll bring it up in other ways throughout Corinthians. So verse, verses 14 through 21 out of chapter 4. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every church, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? And so the Apostle Paul is, is coming at them again. He says, look, after he just hammered them with their puffed upness and their, ang their, their arrogance, he says, look, I'm not, I'm not, here to, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to admonish you. Now, this word shame, it's important that we hear this. This, this word shame isn't defined necessarily the way that we define it. The, the way that we would say shame is, is this kind of embarrass or humiliate. Instead, this is used more to be like a turn to. So it's similar to the word repent, but not exactly the same. So he's saying uh, the way that this would play out is, is when you tell your kids, hey, I need you to not throw the ball over the fence or it's going to go away. I'm just thinking of something outside, right? Keep throwing the ball. Well, when the ball goes over the fence and it gets popped or the dog eats it, the, the shame that he's talking about would be like, see, I told you that if you threw the ball over, something would happen. It's no longer a warning. Admonishment, the word he's saying, is saying, look, I'm here to admonish you. And this decision, it's going to be shame or admonishment based on how they receive it, not necessarily in the delivery of the message. It's admonishment when it's a warning to turn from, hey, look, look, we're going we're gonna to warn you, we're going to caution you, we're going to prod you, we're going to exhort you. It's not a negative thing. This is to try and get people from not doing the wrong thing. Hey, don't throw the ball over the fence. Don't throw the ball over the fence. If you throw the ball over the fence, it'll get, it'll get lost. If you do these things, that's admonishment. Shame is when you turn people to the very instance. Hey, you threw the ball over the fence. Look at look what happened. And you, you, you turn them to this. You focus in on the mistake. That's what he's talking about here. So it's not a shame like an embarrassment or humiliation. Instead, it's used to kind of turn towards your confusion. That you would realize what's going on, that, that, that it's no longer a warning anymore, that, that basically the very concern that came from the admonishment is now in place. And so he's saying, look, you have, you have a choice. The way that which this is going to be received is either going to shame you, it's going to turn you towards your confusion, or it's going to admonish you. It's going to warn you and turn you away from that. You are going to receive it one way or the other, dependent upon where your heart is and what you're doing with the Lord. 
But he says, my desire, my purpose, my hope, I don't do this to turn you towards it, your confusion, but instead to admonish you, to warn you that where you're going doesn't make sense. What you're doing is going to cause problems within your life. And guys, we don't have time to cover all this, but how many times in our life do we ignore the admonishment of others? Say, no, I can, I can live this way. I can make these decisions. I can, I can be in this relationship. I can do these things. I can drink this stuff. I can live this way. And we continue to do these things despite other people around us admonishing us, warning us, exhorting us, encouraging us. Because we believe what we said last week, that we're, we're puffed up, that we know better than those people. We're, 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 we're arrogant. And he's saying, I'm writing you to admonish you. And then he uses this term, children. You know, the, the Apostle Paul never really uses the word disciple, but essentially this word, it, it fits perfectly here. He's saying, look, you're my children. Now, he's not saying that he's given birth to all of them, but he's saying, look, I came to Corinth and through the gospel, through Jesus Christ and the gospel, through the news of Jesus Christ, you have come to know Jesus Christ. So in that way, that God has used me to bring about life in you. So he's considered in his children says, these are the people. Through Paul, they came to faith, for he planted them, and he laid a foundation. And the, the imagery of father and children has all the needed ingredients for where the apostle Paul's going here. If you think about it, like he's, he's saying, look, it continues the important motif of his having founded the church and the inherent authority of the father-child. Because again, his authority was being in question because people started following other people. Even though Apollos and Cephas and, and Paul were aligned and together, they were taking away his authority. And so he says, look, as your father, but it also allows him to admonish, to urge, to bring about behavioral change because he has this ownership idea. Again, he doesn't own this church. He just, he has this ownership of God has used me to bring about life in you through Jesus Christ and the gospel. You, church in Corinth, believe in Jesus Christ because God and the spirit of God used my voice, my words to bring about the truth of the gospel to you. You're a church because I planted it here, not because of his work, but he was faithful to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you're my, you're my children, your father. And then he uses this statement where he says, you have many guides. This word is guardian. In the Greco-Roman world, guardian was a slave usually that would take uh, a kid and take care of usually a son, but would help them get to and from school would take care of answering some questions for them, would help in some of the extracurricular studies or in those different things. They, they were basically an individual that was usually owned by the homeowner that was helping raise these children. He's saying, look, you have many guides, countless guides. The word actually is 10,000 guides. You have many people that will guide you, that will speak into your life, but you have but only one father. You have but only one father. Since they have but one father, Paul, who gave them birth in Christ Jesus through the gospel, he then does something that is so profound, and honestly, I don't know if I could say it, and I'm not sure any of us would necessarily feel comfortable to say it, but he says, imitate me. He says, imitate me. He says, therefore, you have but one father, imitate me. And the reason why this is such a great statement for him to say at this point is because of where he's going. Because, again, he's going to turn their entire lifestyle. They're going to have to live completely counterculture to everything that's happening in Corinth. They're going to have to do away with, with all of the culture in that way and, and really root themselves in what does it really mean to live like Christ. The Apostle Paul goes a little bit further in Corinthians 11 where he says, follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He says, imitate me. Now, this is something that would make sense in this day and age for a father to say to their son. 
It makes sense for them to say this, to say, hey, imitate me. He's saying, look, I've, I've begotten them. He doesn't use the word of regeneration here. Let's be really clear. He doesn't say that I'm the reason that they've regenerated. That's a different word. He's saying in the sense that I am the one that God has used to bring the message of the gospel through Jesus Christ. And the power of the Spirit has, has opened your eyes and brought you to brothers and sisters. And because of that now, I want you to imitate me. I want you to live like me. Now, this is something that is the reason why Paul is struggling, the Apostle Paul is struggling so much, is because there's the, the way that the church in Corinth looks versus where he was when he was there for about the 18 months, is they're drastically different. The factions and the, the, the idolatry and all the other things, the things of the culture that worked their way into the church were opposite of how the Apostle Paul had planted and when he left there. He said, wait a second, this is not who you're supposed to look like, so I want you to imitate me as my children. I want you to live your life like me. Now, I thought about this a lot this week, and, and I really, really would love to say, man, imitate me in all ways. And I think in, in some ways, every single believer in Jesus is supposed to be able to utter those words to someone. We, we really, like, if, if, the, if the command is, that if Jesus' last command is go and make disciples, therefore baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's a command for every person that bears the name of Christ. So that means that we have to live our lives, not just understand his word, but live our lives in a way that we can say, Follow me as I follow Christ. Our lives should look like that. And, and again, through all of Corinthians, it has been this way and it's true, but he's not just concerned about theology, right thinking, the right beliefs. He's, he's concerned about the, the moral living, the way in which that the life aligns to the understanding of God's word. So he's saying, look, I don't need you just to know because this is, this is the whole argument was around wisdom. They were getting more and more and more and more and more knowledge. Like I would say, probably a lot of us in this church today with the podcasts and the commentaries and everything that's at our fingertips, we just get more and more and more knowledge. When he says imitate, he doesn't say imitate my thinking. Imitate literally means to follow, to live like the individual you're imitating, to, to, to copy them. Now, he's not looking for conformity in a sense like, hey, you're, you're going to be all the same way because he goes into spiritual gifts. But he's saying, the way in which I operate in this world, in case you're wondering, let me give you the list of what he says it's supposed to look like. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Imitate me. That's the list he's going to. Stop sitting in your high seats in comfort and imitate me. Live for the kingdom of God, not for yourself. So he's, he starts pushing on these believers and says, look, I'm admonishing, I'm urging you. Stop going the way you're going. Stop holding yourself up in pride and live like me. Now, what does that do for us? Now, here's the thing. As I was wrestling with whether or not I can even say that, like would I feel comfortable to look at Danny Pellegrini back and say, hey, brother, I need you to imitate me. Like imitate me in the way I follow the Lord. Like I, I feel like I'd feel a little arrogant in saying that. But then I realized something, that God has given me an opportunity to be a pastor here. So why would I shy away from that? Similar, why would I shy away from it from my kids? My children should be able to look at my life and say, I want to imitate that. Not just have the right thinking. Not just have the right practice. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to go to church and, that's, and you know, someone else teach me this. But I should be able to say those to my children. Hey, imitate me as I follow Christ. What it means to live according to Scripture, to submit it to His Word, to fully be obedient is, is if we're struggling and they're going to hopefully see me imitate me in my, my continual need of repentance from my mistakes. But what does it mean for us to, to imitate? This is obvious 
all throughout this letter for Paul, right thinking simply is not enough. The gospel must result in appropriate behavior as well. So he exhorts them to imitate him, which means to return to his way of life in Christ Jesus. Saying, return, you've you've lost track. You've you've stepped off. What Paul expects for them, one, one scholar wrote it this way, he says, they are to welcome being regarded as fools for Christ, as weak and dishonored, they are to recognize that all that they have are and have, to have comes to them as a grace gift from God and that they are not inherently extraordinary. They are to think of themselves as no better than menial field hands and servants awaiting God's judgment to determine if they were trustworthy. They are to rid themselves of all resentments and rivalries with coworkers so that they can toil together in God's field. They are to resist passing themselves off as wise or elite by using lofty words of wisdom or aligning themselves with those who do, and to, to rely instead on the power of God that works through weakness, fear, and trembling. These actions and attitudes constitute the pattern of Paul's life both in the present and as he has, lived, as he has had to live it out before the Corinthians. In short, Paul is a model of the wisdom of the cross. Paul's life in its entirety had been stamped by the message of the cross, which excludes boasting and promotes humility. This is what he says it looks like. This is how we are to operate. We are to live this way. Just to affirm that a little bit further again, he doesn't, he doesn't stop. He says, this is the reason why I'm sending you Timothy. My son, my faithful son, Timothy, I'm sending him to you to remind you of what it looks like because Timothy obviously is living in a way that he can be followed as well. That they'll see the way that Timothy follows the Lord and say, this is what Paul did. This is, this is how Paul did it. And ultimately in both of them, they'll see Jesus Christ and recognize that they have tried to move beyond the crucified Christ. They've tried to move on to a comfortable way of living and not recognize that following the Lord is going to be difficult, going to be hard. And it's going to cost you something. It's going to take you from this world. It's going to make you have to make the decisions. Am I going to follow the Lord or follow the world? Am I going to submit myself to God or am I going to submit myself to myself? That's what this living is going to do. So where are you in this life? If the command is out there that you're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, if this is command, then, then how are you doing that? If the command is imitate me as I follow Christ, then, then where are you with that? Is anyone following you? Should anyone follow you? Should there be any imitation happening there? And maybe it's like, oh, you know, I, I just don't know if I know enough here. I haven't, I haven't learned enough yet, so I just don't, I don't think I can, I can say that yet. He doesn't in any way, shape, or form say imitate me in all of my right thinking. He says, imitate me in the way I live. This isn't a knowledge thing. This is a submission issue. If you're submitted to God's word, anytime the Spirit reveals to you, hey, this is in your sanctification process, this is not how you are to operate in this way, you submit yourself to the word and you let it wash over you. You you confess, you repent, and you say, God, take me further. Is anyone worthy? Are Are you worthy of being imitated? This is the question I've been asking myself all week long. Would I want someone to imitate me? And not, again, not so that people look at me and my powerful, wonderful amazingness and, and hold me up. No, because that, that's, that's the exact wrong situation. But am I living in a way that people could follow me and they would be closer to Christ and not follow closer to me? Am I living in a way that people would be drawn to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the crucified Christ? Or am I living in a way that would make people puffed up and arrogant and feel like they can just live their own life for their own purposes? He goes on and says, look, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to you. I'm going to come back. He throws in, if the Lord wills. If you look at his missionary journey, you can see that the Lord had 
a lot of plans that the Apostle Paul didn't have and <laughs> did them differently. But he says, I'm coming back to you. But even some of you right now, you're living as if I'm not. Now, this is an interesting situation. I'll, I'll share a little bit of the story. When I was 16 years old, before I knew Jesus, um, I was given the ridiculous opportunity to be like an assistant manager at Dairy Queen. Okay, I don't know why they would do that. Okay, it was a terrible decision on their part. But while I was there, it was basically what happened. I was on Sundays, I would work, and I was the, like, the, the main person in charge, me and a bunch of other teenagers. It was not a good situation, okay? And literally, I operated because there weren't security cameras, there weren't anything else. It was like, well, we can do whatever we want. And so, I mean, we were just, I mean, it was just terrible. Like, I have had to repent many times of all the things I've done in Dairy Queen, okay? But here's, here's what happened. The reason why I did that was because there was no oversight, because my boss wasn't there. And if I, if I had gotten a call, if the manager was going to stop by, well, you can guarantee we all, you know, button up, get everything cleaned away, put all the stuff away, and let's, let's do everything right, because our boss may see they may see, and this is what he's saying, is there are people in Corinth that were living like, yeah, he's not really going to come back, so we can live however we want. And the, the foolishness in that, the foolishness in that is that the Lord sees all of it. If I was to honor God at Dairy Queen prior to knowing him, I wouldn't have operated the way I did, whether there was someone physically in the room or not. And he says, look, some of you are boasting as if I'm not even going to come back, but I do. I'm going to come in haste. This is even why I sent Timothy to show you these things. Stop living as if I'm not coming back. And I think that's true. Again, he's not coming to visit us. But I think that's true of Jesus Christ in our lives. Many of us operate on a daily basis in our homes, at our workplaces, with our friends, in relationships, as if he's not coming. Jesus isn't coming back. We can live however we want. That is a submission, a way of life issue. I don't know about you, but I definitely don't want to be the person that says, do as I say, not as I do. But when you live that way, as if it doesn't matter if he's coming or not, it doesn't matter if, if he's going to show up, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to find yourself in a, in a very, very tough spot, full of hypocrisy, completely lost. And then when people start imitating, when your children start imitating you, oh man, it's going to be a heartbreak. There are many ways in which being a pastor of a church is so hard. And I have to be as vulnerable and real with my kids as possible. But my wife and I do a lot of work to try and protect our kids from understanding that, that we, aren't the, we aren't the church in that way and that the church and the difficulties isn't there. Because I don't want my kids to see that the church is meant to just destroy parents. I want them to have a love for the bride of Christ, like we do. People are going to imitate you either way. That's what I finally came to this week. No matter what, you bear the name of Christ you interact with anyone that doesn't know Jesus, and they know that you know Jesus, they're going to start wanting to know how you live and why you live. Your kids are going to imitate you either way. If you find yourself as a negative, pessimistic person, completely speaking about division within the church, just watch your kids turn into negative, pessimistic people. If you're in a gospel community of people and you're starting to, to help and you're leading or you're doing those things, no matter, no matter whether you're a leader or not, people are going to start seeing the way in which you're operating. They go, well, I guess I can, I mean, they're doing it, so it must be okay. And they're going to just start following you and imitating you. It's going to happen either way. Are we worthy of being imitated? You want to know how you're worthy? It's based on the same level measure that God is going to use for us, not based on how well we perform not based on how few mistakes we make, not based on how much we mess up, not based on, on whether or not I'm doing everything the way that I'm supposed to, but based on faithfulness alone. Are you faithful? Can you parents look at your kids and say, kids, we're being as 
faithful as we possibly can with every single dollar that God has entrusted us? Can you look at your kids and say, kids, I'm being as faithful as possible with the time that God has still allowed me. I'm breathing today, so therefore he's got a purpose for me. The same should be true of other people in our lives, which brought me to the next step. If we're going to see this analogy all the way through, the Apostle Paul deems himself a father because he has spiritually led people to Christ through the gospel and of Jesus Christ. So it's, a, it's, it's the work of Jesus Christ through the good news of Jesus Christ done by the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul. How many of us are spiritual fathers and mothers to anyone? That's the next question I was plagued with this week. How many people have come to know the Lord because I have faithfully spoken of, lived, and shown the gospel in my own life? How many people would come to know Jesus if we would just start imitating Jesus more in our own lives? We should, we should have people in our lives that, that are drawn to the gospel because of the way we're living, whether they know the Lord or they're, they're completely angry with the Lord because of what they were brought up in or they saw immense hypocrisy. Man, I was in youth ministry for so long, parents. You know, one of the biggest hindrances to the gospel wasn't their peers. It was the way in which they saw hypocrisy in their parents. This is what the Apostle Paul pushes on us. And then he says, I'm going to come in two ways, in a spirit of gentleness or with a rod. Now, I don't want you to get the visual of the Apostle Paul coming back with a stick and starting to beat everyone, okay? That's not what he's talking about here. But he is using the statement as a father saying, look, if you are my children and you are not obedient to God, then discipline will be in which the means that we use. I, I understand that we're getting into parenting and discipline. Ooh, watch out, right? Okay, I understand that. Like, that that's worse than talking politics in church. I get it. But what he's saying here is he's saying, look, God will discipline those in fact, here we see it in Hebrews 12, 5, 6. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So you're going to get disciplined. And he's saying, don't be weary when it happens. Why? For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. Look, discipline is going to come. And the Apostle Paul says, look, I have two ways in which I can show up. I can show up and be a means of discipline to bring about the right behavior that those who are Jesus's, that are his children, are then going to operate in or I can come in a spirit of gentleness. Now, we have to, the translation makes us weird because it, it only lies love with gentleness, but love is definitely there with discipline. We just saw that right there. For the Lord loves those whom he disciplines. So regardless of how he's coming, both bring about love. But he says, ultimately, here's the truth. If you are God's, and you are living a life right now, and I ask that question, who can imitate you? Would you want your kids to imitate the way your life? Would you want them to imitate the way you spend your money? Would you want them to imitate the way you serve, the way you speak about other people? Would you want those things? If you can answer no to any of those, don't worry. The good news is, is you're God still, and he's going to discipline that out of you because he's going to finish the work he began in you because he's faithful to do that. But he's saying, or let this be your admonishment. Let the Apostle Paul's words inspired by the Spirit thousands of years ago that I'm reading today be your admonishment to warn you right now, to exhort you, to turn away from the potential of being shamed, being turned towards your confusion, but instead admonish, warn, go, you know what? I don't want my kids to do this. I, in fact, there's not a single person in my life right now that I would want them to imitate the way that I'm following Jesus because my, my life is so full of fear or anxiety or, or distrust or pride or anger or bitterness. Let this be your warning. Let this be your admonishment. Let the Spirit of God convict you. And instead of being convicted and feeling bad for yourself, let him convict you and turn you back to the way of Christ. Here, here's the really funny thing. The, the people in Corinth thought that they were being spiritual because they were getting loftier and loftier and loftier. 
they got higher, higher up, and, and more people were liking them. And we talked about last week how they were literally aligning themselves to the Apostle Paul or Cephas or, or um, Apollos. And, they were, and the Apostle Paul says like, hey, here's what our life looks like. You're aligning yourselves to us. We're under rowers. We're stewards. We're, we're afflicted and poor and hungry. And there's a complete incongruence of their life. And the reason why the Apostle Paul is saying that is because he's saying, look, look, we're to be imitating Christ. We are to be imitating Christ. And Christ's life was not like these people in the Corinth was low. In fact, we see in Matthew 16, 24 through 25, Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loves, loses his life for my sake will find it. See, the reason why the Apostle Paul can say, imitate me, is because he's imitating Christ. It's not because he's amazing. It's not because he's He's something profound. It's because he's realized that the only way in which living his life was worth living was to be just like Christ. Jesus says on over and over and over again, a, a servant is never greater than their master. Well, Jesus is our master. And look what Jesus endured for our sake. Why would we assume any less of us? Out of the words of, of Jesus, he says, look, if you want to follow me, you got to lose your life. Here's the profound and beautiful thing. We lose our lives, but we gain eternal life. We lose our lives, but we don't have to pay for the wrath of God for our sins. That's already been done through Jesus Christ. All we're doing is saying, I want to submit my life to that, him as my Lord. We're going to take communion today, and we're going to do it. Uh, we do it periodically, but we're going to do it a little bit differently than we've done it recently. I'm going to encourage you guys in a second, those that are followers of Jesus, to go back to the table, grab your communion, and then come back to your seat. And after a song, we'll take it together. But the reason why I wanted to do it today was because... Uh, the very essence of communion, the idea behind communion is, is that we're supposed to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We're to never forget. Don't forget what I've done. Remember me, right? This is where we get our amnesia from. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And, and so often we forget that, like, I don't, I don't, I mean, I can understand a little bit of what the Apostle Paul's life was like, but I don't, I don't have a great account of it. You're right. You don't necessarily need to because we have a great account of Jesus' life through all the Gospels. And ultimately, I'd rather my kids imitate Jesus than me, but I can live in a way in which that I can be so aligned to Jesus that they can see Jesus in the way I'm living. And that's a command of us. And so Jesus says, it's very clear, if he, well, the Apostle Paul, again, inspired by the Spirit, in Ephesians 5, 1, 2, says, therefore, be imitators of God as what? As beloved children. We're to imitate God as his children. It's not uncommon. Again, in, in Judaism, in this day, it was so common for a father to say, son, do it like me. Live like me. In fact, it didn't even have to be said it was so common. If they were living outside of the way in which the father was, the way that they, the profession they had, everything was kind of just following suit with what the father had done. It says, imitate me, or imitate God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to, to God. Walk in love. Another one is uh, 1 John 2, 5 through 6, says, by this we may know that we are in him. This is, this is how we know if we're followers of Jesus. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Imitate him. Live as Jesus lives. Live as Jesus lives. When we take communion, we, we are trying to remember him, trying to imitate him. When we, when we come to this text and the Apostle Paul says, imitate me because he's about to confront all sorts of ways in which they were just completely culturally acceptable to live in Corinth. Say, no, 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 no. 
that isn't what Jesus wants of us. So as we take communion today, I want to encourage you guys to do two things. One is we, we see this later on in, in Corinthians where he talks about us taking it in an unworthy manner, meaning those that are believers are, are living in a life of sin, not struggling with sin, but living in a life of sin and not repenting of it, not confessing and repenting. Confession is acknowledging it, saying it out loud. Repenting is the actual turning from and turning to God. So he's saying there are people in here. There are people that are, that are, that are bitter, that are angry, that have this unforgiveness in their heart. They've been gossipers or slanderers. They're thinking ill of someone. Right now, you're thinking ill of someone. You might be thinking ill of me. He's saying, don't, don't come to the table like that. You're a follower of Jesus. Confess that. Repent of that. Acknowledge that. Say, God, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to divide in that way. I want to be, a, I want to be one as a body. This is why we're going to take the communion together as a body today, because we're one. So I would encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to, to make it right. If you need to step out and send a text or make a phone call, if you realize that I can't actually do this today because I need, there's some other things that need to work in my heart, that's fine. But don't sit on that. Don't wait. Because, look, the Lord's going to come, and he's either going to come in a spirit of gentleness or he's going to come in discipline. Either way, if you're his, he's going to come. And either way, he's going to come for you, and he's going to do what he needs to do in you because you're his child, and he wants you to live nothing short of imitation to him. And he gives you the means at which to do it by the Spirit of God. And he gives us the, the, the way of understanding it through his scripture. And nothing less is expected. The band's going to come up. And we're going we're to sing a song. And while we're doing this, I would encourage you guys to go and grab your communion. Come back to your chairs. And in just a second, I'll lead us through that. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is, is the cup. This, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have um, given us this bread of life that represents your body, Jesus Christ, the bread of life. We thank you that Christ lives in us through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, setting us in a family of believers, the body of Christ, your church. And now we receive this bread as the body of Jesus broken for us. Amen. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. God, we give thanks for this juice and ask you to bless it as the symbol of Christ's blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ your only son, to die for us, washing us completely clean and bringing us to perfect peace with you. The cup of the new covenant is Jesus Christ's blood shed for you. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. We will celebrate the Lord's Supper until Jesus returns. At the end of history, Jesus will return, and then there will again be a meal, a time of celebration, the marriage of the Lamb. We will celebrate the Lord's Supper together with all, with all other believers. And although we are different, we all belong together because we are members of one body of Christ. I'll leave you with this. May the blood of Christ purify your conscience from sinful deeds so that you can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Holy Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for your sins. And may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the day when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God, who calls you, is faithful. He will do this. We pray and believe in the power and presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God 
the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.